Well, again, happy Mother's Day. Certainly, moms, we would just celebrate and honor you this weekend. And if you missed the slideshow at the very beginning of our worship service, we want you to know we'll be playing that again at the end. There's a couple hundred moms and their families just being celebrated. And certainly, we wouldn't want you to miss that. You know, with it being Mother's Day, I was thinking about one of the greatest memories I have of my mom, and that's her making yeast rolls. I can still remember the smell of those rising and baking, and I can still remember how swelled my belly felt after eating like a dozen of them. I mean, that's just one of those sweet memories I have of my mom. And it's one of the things that we look forward to when we go home for Thanksgiving or another holiday. And, you know, I love my mom for a lot of other things other than just what she does or just like making yeast rolls. I love that she's sincere. I love that she's compassionate and she's caring. I love the fact that she's creative. And I also love the fact that she's been faithful to me and my siblings, to my dad, and, and certainly to God. I tell people all the time, it's not the one sermon from my dad one day a week that made me into the man that I am today. It's the sermons that my mom gave the other six days of the week. And I'm certainly grateful for my mom and also for the mother of my children. You know, today we are continuing our year-long journey through the Gospel of John. And we have a desire to learn how to live and love like Jesus. And so we're going to be looking today at a series of, of events that we've been looking at, at John chapter six. And so grab a copy of the Bible and turn there with me. You know, this moment kicked off with Jesus miraculously feeling a multitude of people. Some estimate there could have been 10 to 20,000 people on that mountainside that day. And Jesus took a little boy's lunch and made sure they all had plenty and there was even some leftovers. And right after that, he actually walked on top of the water across the Sea of Galilee to join his disciples who were in in a boat in the middle of a storm. And that's where we kind of pick up the moment from Jesus today. And over the past two weeks, we've been able to see that Jesus is our provider and he's also present. And that builds our trust and confidence in him and also gives us just motivation to respond to the needs of others and also to point people to him. And so now let's see what happens next in John chapter six, beginning in verse 22. So the next day, the crowds that had uh, stayed on the opposite shore of the lake, they realized that there was only one boat that had been there and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread and the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? This group of people were fed by Jesus on the mountain that day and they were wanting to make him king. But the next day they couldn't find him anywhere. Many scholars note that verse 21 actually indicates another miracle that happened that day because the disciples had gone out about halfway across the Sea of Galilee. But when Jesus got in their boat, they immediately landed on the shore. That leads me to a discussion question. I want you to take a few moments to discuss whether it's with your family or those that you're gathered with right now. Which miracle of Jesus would you have liked to see in person? And also I'd like you to think about this. What miracle are you waiting for Jesus to perform? Talk about that for a few moments.
John notes that the people looking for Jesus actually found him on the other side of the lake in Capernaum. And in verse 59, he says that the synagogue is where they found him. And that's the location of this discourse that begins in verse 26. It was very common for there to be a a teacher or a speaker in the synagogue who would uh, open up a debate, kind of a dialogue about uh, spiritual topics. And that's what we see Jesus doing beginning in verse 26. Let's see what he says. Verse 26, it says, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're not looking for me because you are, uh, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the son of man will give you. For on him, God, the father has placed his seal of approval. And then they ask him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what signs then will you give us to see that we may believe in you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and as it's written, he will give them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who given you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Jesus doesn't really seem to answer their question about when and how he got to Capernaum, but he addressed their greatest need. He challenged them not to be looking for him because they want more bread or to, to, but he says, don't work for things that spoil, but hunger for things and search for things that are filled with eternal life. And he directs them to the source, which is himself. He says that the son of man gives food that endures, which is meaning eternal life. And God placed a seal of approval on him, indicating that he was qualified to be a source of this living bread. Someone said that Jesus is the certified author, franchise distributor of the bread of life. The seal that was placed on Jesus is the Holy Spirit that descended and remained on him at his baptism. It empowered him to perform such miracles and it indicates God's approval on him. And it's a sign of his deity. We, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the same seal of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 13 and 14, Paul says this, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Those listening that day were convinced and they asked more clarifying questions of who Jesus is and what work they needed to do to find this eternal life. And Jesus answered them, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who sent him. That is the stated reason that John gives for writing his account of Jesus' life. And it's also the gospel in a nutshell. Placing our faith in who Jesus is, is the work that God requires. We work by believing. That's what John 3, 16 and what Jesus said to Nicodemus. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 also echo the same theme. It's by grace that you've been saved, Paul says. That's through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's a gift from God not by works so that no one can boast. Jesus states emphatically that this bread is the same, it's from the same source that the manna in the wilderness was from. But he says that this bread that he offers is much better compared to the manna that they received. 
I have another story about my mom. The year that Christy and I got married, my parents moved from the place that I grew up, Maysville, Kentucky, to another town in Kentucky. And my mom, for the, per, for, for the first five years after moving, always said statements like this. You know, the ham here in Nicholasville at Kroger is not as good as the ham from the Kroger in Maysville. Or she would say, you know, the milk in Maysville was just so much better from Kroger than the, the, the milk I get here from Kroger in Nicholasville. And we had to remind her that the milk and ham was actually coming from the same source, from a, some distribution center that delivered both to Maysville and to Nicholasville. Well, this reminds me of another discussion question I'd like for us to think about. I want you to discuss this. What is something that you used to really be interested in and enjoyed, but now you find yourself uh, uninterested? Maybe it's a, a TV show. Maybe it's a food or a snack or a, a hobby. And I also want you to discuss this. Why do you think that Jesus is better than the things that this world offers us to enjoy? Talk about that with your family and those gathered for just a few minutes. Verse 33, it says that Jesus is the bread from heaven and he gives life to the world. Just like the manna was God's miraculous and gracious physical provision for the people of Israel, Jesus is God's gracious spiritual provision for all people. Anyone can have this bread and find life in him. The people respond just like the woman at the well recorded in John 4. When Jesus told her and offered her living water, she wanted that water so that she wouldn't have to go to the well and draw water on a regular basis. And these people were looking for like this continual bread supply. Both missed the point of what Jesus was really saying. He wasn't talking about some self-replenishing bread or some miracle barley loaves. Look what he says in verse 35 of John 6. Jesus answered them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and you still do not believe. All those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven to do the will of my father who sent me. And this is the will of the one who sent me that I will shall not lose one of them that he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. 
For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. This is a powerful declaration by Jesus. It's one of seven statements that we'll see over the next several weeks that Jesus states about himself. I'd encourage you to pick up your journal and make a page where you can make a list of these I am statements that Jesus makes. These I am statements are equal to what God says about himself in Exodus chapter three. When Moses asked God, who should I say has sent me to Israel to tell Pharaoh to let my people go? And God says, you can tell them I am sent you. I am is the name of God and Jesus is claiming that name. He's declaring that he's the source of eternal life. He's sufficient. He satisfies. Jesus is enough. Jesus states that God's desire is for all people to have eternal life and that his mission is to bring eternal life to them. He speaks of his commitment to the Father's will, that he will not lose any of those that the Father gives him. And he repeats this statement of commitment as well as completion later in John chapter 17. We see here a clear statement about salvation, that it's initiated by God and it requires a response from us. God desires to see all people come to salvation and we must choose to accept his free gift of salvation. Jesus speaks of coming down from heaven over and over. And this is to indicate that he has oneness with God, that he has authority, that he's the Messiah and that his mission is as one of savior. Jesus is enough. In verse 40 of John 6, it says this, everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jewish leaders who heard Jesus say that, that say that, they, they knew he was making claims and promises that he really didn't have any business making, that he shouldn't be making, they thought. In verse 41, it says they began to grumble, which might be more of a reference in parallel to their ancestors' lack of faith than even the manna that Jesus spoke about in just a few verses ago. It's like a, a booing or hissing that happens when you disagree with the person speaking. That's what it means to grumble. They questioned his statement about being from heaven and the authority that he claimed. And so listen what Jesus says back to them in verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus says. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Jesus keeps coming back to showing proof that he's from heaven and he has authority to offer eternal life. John's reinforced this theme from his opening words in chapter one through the miracles that he recorded and now these I am statements. Jesus' character and his power are demonstration of his deity. His teaching is a fulfillment of prophecy and his compassion reveals God's heart. His mission is to bring eternal life. He is the bread of life. He's not like the man of which the people ate in the wilderness and then died. He's living bread. Hunger and thirst throughout scripture are metaphors for the human need to know God and to find true life. 
And Jesus describes this bread as his flesh. It's not the original word that indicates body, but actually indicates the giving or taking of physical life, physical death. So feeding on Jesus' flesh is is believing and trusting in his death for eternal life. Again, that's the gospel in a nutshell. And Jesus is enough. We're all guilty of death because of what we've done, but we aren't saved by what we do. Salvation comes by what Jesus did on the cross, by taking our punishment for sin and by dying on the cross. We place our faith and trust in him. We die to ourselves and we receive eternal life. My family enjoys going to a restaurant called Lambert's. There's a couple around in the Midwest and Lambert's is known as the home of the throwed rolls. And what that means is there's a a man or woman that pushes around this silver cart and on the cart is loaded with yeast rolls. And all you simply have to do is raise your hand and they'll chuck you a, a yeast roll. You can have as many as you want. In fact, it seems like the supply of bread never runs dry. If you leave Lambert's hungry, it's your own fault. Jesus offers living bread and he satisfies our deepest hunger. The life he offers us is eternal. He meets you where you are right now, no matter who you are or what you've done. And he offers you life, life to the fullest, eternal life. And my question for you right now is this, have you ever accepted Jesus' gift of salvation, eternal life? Have you ever claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life? Have you placed your faith in him? If not, I wanna encourage you to do that right now. Jesus gave up his life on the cross so that you could find life in him. You don't have to be empty, hungry, or alone any longer. Jesus is enough. If you'd like to know more about how to find life, life to the fullest, eternal life in Jesus, I want you to pull out your phone right now and you can text the word now to 812-858-8668. And you'll be able to uh, come alongside you and be able to answer questions. We'll be able to help you understand how you can have life in Jesus and take your next steps in a relationship with him. You know, Jesus' words really upset the religious leaders and they had a sharp debate among themselves about what Jesus was saying. They were asking themselves, how can this man offer his flesh for us to eat? The Old Testament was very clear that eating raw meat or drinking blood was was certainly forbidden. Jesus' words are really strong. Look what he says in verse 53 says, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you, he, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. We need to understand that Jesus is using metaphors here to describe how he brings eternal life and how to remain in him. He's not encouraging cannibalism. He's offering spiritual nourishment. Some teach the words of Jesus here are are where he instituted the Eucharist and that we must actually consume the body and blood of Jesus to be saved. But Jesus is simply using a powerful metaphor to stress how important it is to embrace life in him through faith and also how to allow his presence to dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. 
It's just like another metaphor he'll use later in John 15 when he uses the metaphor of a vine and branch to speak the same message. But yet it was a strong challenge. In verse 60, he says this, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You know, the original language indicates that everyone present hearing these words knew exactly what he was saying. They just found it difficult to accept. They weren't interested in spiritual things. They went away empty and lost. Jesus was saying, I am enough. Quit trusting in yourself or pursuing physical bread when I offer you life in me. Jesus was inviting anyone to come and find life in him, eternal life. He was offering salvation through him, not through being good enough or strong enough or thinking that he isn't enough. As the bread of life, the living bread, the bread from heaven, we find him enough. He's enough for that person who who grew up trying to please their parents or their teachers or a boss or a coach, and they never felt like they measured up. He's enough for that mom who lost her husband unexpectedly and is raising her teenage son alone. He's enough for that couple who fell in love but find themselves disenfranchised about life and marriage and find themselves isolated, even tired. He's enough for that man or woman who's battling a physical or health crisis. And he's enough for us when we lose our sense of normalcy, when our jobs end abruptly, when we are not sure how we're going to pay the bills or how we can continue to have patience with social distancing. When so much of life is interrupted without a a clear picture of what the new normal will look like, Jesus is enough because he's the source of true life, of eternal life. And he offers us salvation, hope, peace, and rest for our souls. I wanna challenge all of us to make a daily practice, to begin each day with a simple prayer that reminds us that Jesus is enough. Before you get out of bed each morning, would you make this your morning prayer? Jesus, I trust you. It's a statement of confidence that Jesus is enough for whatever the day might bring. It's a reflection of the Lord's prayer when Jesus teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread. It's trusting Jesus to meet our physical needs and our spiritual needs. I also want you to I want to challenge you to end each day with another simple prayer. It's a moment of reflection and praise for what God has provided throughout the day. And I would encourage you to make your evening prayer, Jesus, thank you. Thank him for each and every way, big or small, that he's shown you that he is enough. This daily spiritual rhythm can help us center our lives on the reality that Jesus is enough. You know, when we gather as the body of Christ, as the church, whether we're in one place or scattered all across this community in homes and other meeting places, we celebrate communion to remind ourselves that Jesus is enough. Many see the Lord's Supper spoken about in these verses that we've looked at from John chapter six. It's interesting that John is the only gospel that doesn't record the Lord's Supper at the Last Supper being instituted by Jesus. Maybe he didn't have to because he's spoken so much about Jesus as the bread of life in the verses we've looked at today. We're gonna celebrate communion together right now. And so after I pray, I hope that you'll take a few moments just to reflect on Jesus' statement found in John 6, verse 51. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever trusts in this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Let's pray together.
Holy God, thank you for meeting our greatest need by sending your son Jesus as the bread of life, came from heaven to supply our greatest need, the need of a savior. And by trusting in him, by feeding on him, we can find true satisfaction, true salvation. We can find peace and rest and hope. God, it's through Jesus that we are saved. And so today we claim him as our savior. We say that we need this living bread from heaven in our life, not just because of the situation we find ourselves in now, but for all time. Our greatest need was a savior and you provided that in Jesus. He has the authority to offer us eternal life. And so God, my prayer is that any person who's never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior would do that right now, today, that they would taste and see that this gift from heaven, this bread of life is good and is satisfying and is enough. And God, I pray for us that for those of us who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that God, we would truly trust that Jesus is enough, that we wouldn't try to work to earn your love. We wouldn't try to work to impress other people, but instead we would rest and know that that having you as Lord and Savior is what we need and it's enough. And God, I pray that we would use these quiet moments just to thank you and to celebrate what we have in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.